This audio download is the extended version of the Family Life Today radio program. Your download is made possible by Family Life Legacy Partners. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us on the Thursday edition of our broadcast. We have been focusing for the last several days on issues that face parents of teenagers and preteens. We've been talking about some of the traps that have been set for our children. And it's interesting, Dennis, the issue of traps, as you mentioned earlier in the series, is something that the Bible speaks about again and again. It does. In fact, uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 14 says, The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life to turn aside from the snares of death. Hmm. And, you know, the book of uh, Proverbs was written by Solomon, I think, primarily to teach his son. Right. And that proverb, uh, Proverbs thirteen fourteen, really exhorts a child to listen to the teaching of a wise person because it brings forth life. But it also warns that um, as parents, what we're helping our children do is turn aside from a, a snare that would produce death. And the trap that we're going to be talking about on the broadcast today mm. is one that yeah, has boy. tragically claimed the lives of uh, of countless thousands of young people. Well, listen to these statistics, and these come from the PRIDE, which is the National Parents Resource Institute for Drug Education, which, Bob, is an incredible survey of more than 129,000 students hmm. in, in the sixth grade all the way through the twelfth grade, done in more than 26 states across the country, mm-hmm. all conducted in one school year from 1995 through 1996. And they found that of all 6th through 12th graders, 29.5% of them had used an illicit drug at least once in the past year. Three out of 10. Three out of 10. Okay. Marijuana, of those in grades 6 through 8, mm-hmm. 13.6% used marijuana at least once this past year. Hmm. And then you take alcohol of those who are in middle school, 44.5% have used alcohol at least once in the past year. Then there's smoking of those in middle school, 31.1% have smoked cigarettes at least once during that school year. Mm -hmm. And of those in high school, 48.2% smoke cigarettes. Do you think we have a problem with substance abuse, mm-hmm. we got a massive problem. And the problem, this is going to sound radical, the problem is not a teenager problem. In my opinion, it's an adult problem. Mm. It's the failure of parents to be involved in their children's lives, guarding, protecting, drawing boundaries around their children's lives, and uh, keeping them away from this type of of substance that can destroy their lives. I've got to confess to you my own naivete in this area. When I was in the ninth grade, I was standing at my locker one day, and uh, a fellow who was on the football team with me came up and leaned up against the locker next to mine, and he said, Hey, Bob, you interested in a bag of marijuana? And I said, No, I don't think so. And he said, Okay, it's cool, and walked away. I went home and told my parents, and we called the police. And the police captain came out to our house and took a report. And then I got to thinking, I got to go back to school the next day. <laughs> and the word's going to get around, undoubtedly. Well, the word didn't get around as to who, but we did hear later on that this young man had been expelled from school. Obviously, I was not the only target 
of his interest in selling marijuana. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's about the only time in my life that I've had any kind of a run-in with uh, illicit drugs. And and throughout high school and college, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, and I was pretty square. Yeah, I was too, Bob. (laughs) I didn't do any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was primarily because I was afraid to. I just didn't – I was just chicken. I didn't want to get into – alcohol and there were kids who started drinking when we were in high school and started smoking when we were in high school drugs i don't think were much of a problem when i was a teenager however it was starting to make inroads into college but you know i just i just didn't want to have anything to do with it because i just was afraid of it afraid of what it would do afraid of what it would do and afraid of uh, the consequences and i knew it wasn't right and i just wasn't going to mess with it mm-hmm. you know I, I had enough choices when i was a teenager I, i'm glad i wasn't a teenager in this era because between uh Alcohol, marijuana, the pills that people have to numb them. I mean, children today have a lot more alternatives when it comes to substance abuse. And parents have a a bigger task, I think, because they're available um, in many cases in people's homes. And in some cases, Dennis, the, the problem that our kids are facing – really stems back to what's being modeled for them again by their parents. Yeah, I I look back to some of the decisions that Barbara and I made early on in our marriage, and um, this was one of them. We were going to model a a life that didn't bring this stuff into our home. And I I can't help but wonder today if if we got on the phone right now and called Ashley and – and Benjamin and Samuel, our older three, who have now moved on beyond the teen years, I I think it'd be interesting to know if any one of those three has ever sampled alcoholic beverages, and as far as uh, marijuana, smoking, doing doing any other kind of drug, I don't I don't think I don't think that they've even even been there, and I, I don't pat ourselves on the back at that point, but I think our own stand of deciding what we're going to model and and really paying attention to that. I think we underestimate how a, a, a parent can give approval not merely to a drink or to a drug, but to a lifestyle that accompanies them. You know, there's there's a lot of discussion around the scriptures in this area about whether it is unbiblical to take a drink. And we read passages where Paul exhorts Timothy to take a little wine for your stomach for medicinal purposes. Jesus turns water into wine at Cana. And so a lot of Christians think to themselves, it's not prohibited in the Scripture. Right. I have freedom in Christ. Right. Drunkenness is forbidden. But taking an occasional drink, having a beer with the guys at a football game or a glass of wine with dinner, there's nothing biblically wrong with that. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, Barbara, you and Dennis have said even though there's nothing biblically wrong, it's not going to be a part of our lifestyle. Explain that. Well, I think that even though we agree that, that there isn't anything biblically wrong with it, we just felt like early on that with our kids, we did not want that to even be a temptation to them. Because if they felt like it was okay for mom and dad to have wine with an occasional meal or to have a beer now and again, even though it was not something that was uh, an ordinary occurrence, even though they, they would understand that it was an exception, I just don't think our kids in this culture have the maturity to be able to say this is an exception. I think they look at us and they go, well, if mom and dad do it, it must be okay. And they make these these mental leaps from 
seeing what somebody else is doing to deciding it's okay for me mm-hmm. when they don't have the maturity to know how to balance it or don't know how to do it in moderation. And so they decide, well, it's okay, and they just they go bonkers with it. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, it's not just teenagers either. This story is not about a parent raising a teen, but it applies to what you're talking about. I'll never forget a peer who, um, who developed a problem with drugs. And, and it all started when this particular adult was over at a friend's house and they went out for an outing with a, a pair of people who were very godly, very mature Christians. And during that outing, that other couple served my friend a glass of, of wine, mm-hmm. some, an alcoholic beverage. That started that man in his mid-40s down a trail that nearly cost him his his life, his marriage, his family, his ability to, to earn a living. And it all started with him looking at a peer, someone that he admired and looked up to, but nonetheless a peer age-wise and professionally. And I want to tell you, if it can have that kind of an impact on somebody who's 40, what kind of an impact would it have on a, a 12-year-old? an 11-year-old, or for that matter, a 16-year-old who's trying to find a point to anchor their lives in this stormy gale called life where they're living, they don't have many anchor points. Mm -hmm. And I think our teens need to be able to look at parents, and and I don't think we should be worshipped. I'm not talking about that, but I do think our model needs to be as consistently strong and and um, upholding the highest values that we can possibly uh, represent to our children because today's teenagers, listen to me, today's teenagers need us. They need parents they can depend on, parents who represent something. And to be a Christian parent today and to be uh, doing some things that they're just a little foggy or just a little gray and, you know, it's not that much. Let me tell you something. These children are like radar units. Mm. They lock on us. They watch. They look. And they make determinations off of our lives, whether we like it or not. And so that's why Barbara and I decided we won't do that. Well, certainly one of the dominant themes of adolescence is how close am I to adulthood? And so if young people are watching parents and their behavior and their activity and saying that's what it looks like to be an adult, they're trying to rush adulthood as quickly as they can. The sooner they start drinking, for example, they think they're closer to adulthood, and that will lead them down down a path well ahead of their maturity. Well, advertising, that's the, that's the pitch of all the, the booze advertising that occurs on TV, in, in newspaper ads, magazine ads, billboards. And one of the things we've done with our children from an early age is we've sought to unmask the deceit of this advertising with our children as we drive by those billboards, as we open those magazines, Mm -hmm. as we see those advertisements while we're watching the football game on television. Mm -hmm. We talk about what the lie is behind that advertisement, that you have to drink to be happy, Mm -hmm. that you have to drink to have fun. And then as our older children have left and gone away to college, we've continued to, to test their convictions by asking them why their friends drink, why people who live in the dorms or the sorority or the fraternity, why do they have to go out and get plastered? What is it that's taking place there? 
Are they running from reality? Are they searching for some kind of peace? Uh, Is it that they don't like who they are while they're sober Mm -hmm. and they do like who they are when they're drunk? And we've talked with all of our children about becoming the person that pleases God and having an identity in Jesus Christ that is winsome Mm -hmm. and feeling good about that identity so that you don't have to take a drink to feel good about yourself. Apart from the desire to be older or more mature, what is the lure for young people to uh, sample uh, cigarettes, alcohol, or illicit drugs? Well, I think that's the big lure, really. But I think what hooks them is their insecurity because kids are so insecure. They don't know who they are. They don't know where they belong. They they just have all these um, areas where they don't have confidence yet. And so they get hooked on that because that gives them that false sense of confidence uh, when they're drinking or when they're smoking and looking cool and, and grown up. And I think that's what keeps them doing it because it, it – it fulfills that need they have to feel some sense of confidence and self-esteem. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more with what Barbara said. I, I think we uh, forget what it was like to be a teenager and to be growing up and feel so uncertain of who you are and try to find ways to carve out your own personhood and identity as a young man or a young lady. And I think there there are two other things you add to that mix the most powerful of which is peer pressure. And, of course, that's where they're getting their identity from their friends Mm -hmm. and peers. And I think that's one of the major reasons why a lot of children drink is they're hanging around with other children who do. And so one of the things that helps me as I look at these statistics that we started the broadcast with today is that if I start with the assumption that half of high school students drink, then I need to be paying careful attention to the young men who um, um, to the young people who are spending time with our teens, and I want to tell a story, but this is maybe this is oh, we rolling if we start with the assumption okay, here we go and if we start with the assumption that more than seventy percent of high school students drink, then all of a sudden, Bob, you've got to start looking at the friends who your son or daughter is spending time with, and you, you've got you to have your head in the sand to be assuming they're not drinking. Well, but if they're hanging around with kids from the youth group, then... But, see, that's, there's where we get tricked. In fact, that brings up a great story that occurred a number of years ago with, uh, uh, with uh, one of my sons. They, they came back home, and, and uh, one of them said, Dad, I'm not quite sure how to tell you this, but uh, a couple of the boys from the youth group uh, got plastered. And I said, really? He said, yeah. And I said, who was it? He said, well, I'm not sure I should tell you. And I said, well, let me tell you something, son. If uh, if they got drunk and they were driving a vehicle, and that had come out in the story, mm-hmm. and uh, it was you, um, I would want to know. Because at that point, as a dad, I would want to step into my son's life, and I would want to correct this lest they lose their life. And I said, um, you you need to do what you need to do, but I'd like to know who it was. And so he finally told me. And uh, what took place was absolutely fascinating because I went to one of the fathers that I knew very well and had a relationship with, and I told that dad that his son had had gotten drunk. And um, the dad went home, asked the son about the situation, and indeed uh, had quite a conversation 
with the young man and his his and indeed had quite a conversation as a father and a son. But his son knew me quite well, and his son got ticked off at me for telling his dad. Hmm. And um, so much so that I invited him to come over to our house and invited him to express his displeasure with me going to his dad. He said, you betrayed biblical um, uh, the biblical pattern for how you discipline somebody. You should have come to me instead of going to my dad. Hmm. And I said, well, you know, you bring up an interesting point. I, I said, uh, there might be a possibility that you'd be right, but I got to tell you that 10 out of 10 times, if uh, this situation happened to my son, I would want the father to come to me because your dad is responsible for you, mm-hmm. not me. Mm-hmm. And um, I just uh, I want you to know a few things about what you've done here. And so I began to turn it on him, and I began to say, um, there's some uh, there's a conversation you need to have about this as to why you were drinking and what you were up to. And we spent more than an hour and a half, not just with him, but with two other boys, having a conversation with them about why they were drinking, what they were doing. And at one point in the conversation at my home, Bob, this was a great, a great teaching tool. I had the young man switch places with me. And I had him talk to me about what I had done as a young man hmm. in getting drunk. <laughs> and I, I said, now you become the father and you talk to me about your concern about my life. Mm-hmm. Now, I got a feeling all three of those young men, those, those boys that I talked to, will never forget that evening at my house. I did it on separate occasions. Mm-hmm. And had a heart-to-heart with these guys about abusing a substance and getting drunk and driving a car and being in a dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing, Bob, at, uh, in each of these evenings that I spent with these young men, guess who was seated in the room listening to all the conversations with each of these young men? I bet it was your son. My son. Mm-hmm. He got a chance to hear the conversation, saw the role play. And participated at points Mm -hmm. and actually encouraged the dialogue. Mm -hmm. And so guess whose convictions were being shaped at the same time I was attempting to come alongside young men Mm -hmm. and challenge them in their lives? Your own son. That's right. And I think as parents, we need to look for these opportunities to teach our, our children and help them grow up and help them develop convictions around these issues. In addition to peer pressure, what's the other factor that you think is leading kids to sample alcohol and drugs? Uh, It's real simple, stress. Hmm. I think grades, um, the stress of popularity, the schedules they keep, stress is a biggie. And I think a lot of kids are trying to escape lifestyles. In fact, this is such a huge issue, Bob, that in our book, Parenting Today's Adolescent, we actually call this a trap, Hmm. busyness, Mm -hmm. and uh, address this issue of crowded schedules, jamming too much in and trying to achieve too many objectives today uh, as young people. Parents are responsible for, um, for the lifestyles of our youth and not allowing them to live their lives on the edge. Barbara, what would you say to a son or a daughter who says, well, in Europe, Mom, everybody drinks wine with every meal from the time they're six years old? They're not, they don't have the hang-ups that you guys have. 
Yeah, I would probably laugh and chuckle. <laughs> we just did and say, yeah, we don't live in Europe either. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is not Europe. This is America. And uh, it may be true over there, but it's not true here. And we're trying to set a high standard for you, and we want to, to raise you in a godly way, and we're just not going to do that. Yeah, and they got some real problems in Europe because mm-hmm. of it. You know, it's interesting. I think that that uh, little line is used by a lot of people. But I think youth in some of these countries where uh, alcohol is used so com- in such commonplace ways becomes a problem for these teens as they grow up into adulthood. Mm-hmm. And they aren't in control of their lives. They're running from reality. They're escaping who they are. Mm-hmm. They're looking for the fantasy. Mm-hmm. And the tragedy here is that uh, some of these kids get so close to these traps that they, they fall completely in. And there are kids who aren't alive today. Yeah, you're you're pointing out the destructive nature of these substances like alcohol, pills, marijuana, uh, other forms of uh, drugs that are abused by young people. And and you know, Bob, um, some time ago you were at my 50th birthday party. Right. And you remember what happened. All of my uh, children came back from – um, the different spots where they were. Samuel came down from college where he was at the time, and Ashley and Michael drove over from where they live and having been newly married. And and a part of that celebration was my son Benjamin, who at the time was in Estonia in a one-year missions trip, got on the phone and began to, to weep and uh, begin to share his appreciation for me as a dad. And uh, the entire staff was there as they had him patched through. And, man, it was the best birthday party I've ever I've ever been a part of uh, for my life. Just hearing my son on the phone and hearing his appreciation for me as a dad and a man, it just, it, you know, you could just die at that point and move on to the next mm-hmm. – uh, to eternity mm-hmm. at that juncture. But when I got back to my office, there was an email waiting for me on my desk that I've got in my hands. And I think it points out the danger of what we're talking about here and um, how drugs can ruin a young man or a young woman's life. And it's from uh, one of our staff here at Family Life. It says, Dear Dennis, happy birthday. I'm glad to see you taking it so well. It wasn't really that bad, Bob. <laughs> uh, this uh, particular parent goes on to say, I don't mind being 54. It's just a number. Good health is more important than age. And she went on to say a few other things there. And then she said, hearing your son overseas was special and hard. I couldn't help but feel the contrast. You see, today, my son goes to court to be sentenced to prison for drugs. Pray for him to come to repentance. I have not seen my son in more than four years. I know God has heard my prayers for him and that God will do what is best for all concerned. Mm-hmm. You know, I I um, I don't know why our children so far have uh, done so well. It's the grace of God that uh, he has overruled many of the mistakes that Barbara and I have made. But I, I looked at that memo, and I thought how easy it would have been for one of our children to have taken a step and headed down in that direction. Mm-hmm. And today... It could be one of my sons or my daughters going to prison for drugs. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, if you go out to that finish line and you look at that point, what's that worth? Well, it's worth taking the strongest stand, being the most diligent parent, 
hanging in there and persevering when your children fail and when you fail and not giving up in diligent prayer for your children to ask God to keep them from evil and harm and from temptation and ask God for victory. Hmm. You know, in all these traps we're talking about here, you can't ignore the fact that it is the Lord who builds the house and it's the Lord who must protect our children and it's the Lord who must go to... Uh, be at work in our children's lives on behalf of his agenda for them, calling them to do what's right when no one is looking. Mm-hmm. And I pray for those parents right now that if you're facing a tough situation with a, a prodigal child who's still living in your home, that God will give you the grace, the perseverance, the love, the compassion to go after that child and to love them out of their sin. Mm. May God grant you success as you raise those teenagers. Thanks for listening. To find additional downloads on this or other program topics, visit our website at familylife.com.